0: The Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life,
1: supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life, we are Irish Life.
0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking at why some locals in Athen Rye have gone to the High Court to block Apple's investment in the town. We'll also be getting under the skin of AT&T's proposed mega takeover of media titan Time Warner and we'll be looking at the reasons why the Walloons in Belgium are blocking the EU's trade deal with Canada. Now, we'll start with Apple. And earlier this week, Mark Paul, the business affairs correspondent of the Irish Times, headed to Athenry in County Galway to gauge local opinion in the town on the decision by some locals to seek a review of a planning
1: decision in favour of Apple's €850 million Euro data centre. Here's Mark's report. For many small Irish towns, the economic recovery has been slow to arrive and the effects of the last recession are still being felt. One such place is Athenry in County Galway, where Sarah Walls owns a dress shop, Goona
2: as a business down the town, I've, I've been watching it very carefully. I've been hanging on by a thread. The last year has seen improvement, but it, it's not like the big developed areas, the big city areas.
1: Athenry is only a 15-minute drive from the bustling city of Galway, but economically, it is a million miles away. Commercial activity is slowly picking up, but the unemployment rate remains stubbornly high and well above the national average. Then, in February last year, Apple announced its intention to invest €850 million in Athenry. The tech giant wants to build up to eight data centres on a site near the town, creating up to 300 jobs during construction and 150 more upon completion. The news was greeted with joy by the town, especially amongst the local business community.
3: Well, I, I think there was a kind of
1: a frisson of excitement in the town at the time because we went... John Moylan is in charge of sales at Sip Energy, which makes energy-efficient panels in the having town. ...an open evening in the Raheem Woods Hotel, and basically they were laying out what they were proposing to do and what, at the time, they were proposing to put planning in for. Uh, we went down to see, you know, what it was, and obviously, being a local business, to see is there any way that we could then become part of that process and get onto the Apple supplier chain. Apple applied for planning permission, which was granted by Galway County Council. A handful of objectors then lodged appeals with on-board which finally gave the green light in August of this year. But now the project has hit another snag. Kieran Cannon, the local Fine Gael TD, explains. It's now transpired there. There are two and possibly three people um, who have now um, asked for a judicial review. They've gone to the High Court, sought a judicial review of the decision, um, which is very, very disappointing. Uh, if you travel around this town, um, you will find it very difficult to find anyone who's opposed to this development. In, in the main, people are exceptionally supportive of it. The three objectors are seeking a judicial review, which could delay the entire project by up to 18 months. Or perhaps even longer. Their application for a review will come before a judge next month. The objectors include two local residents and one landowner from Wicklow. Their objections include environmental concerns such as power usage, noise and air quality. They also raise concerns over whether Apple followed proper procedures when compiling its environmental impact statement. The spectre of a further delay appears to be a source of great frustration to the vast majority of residents in the town.
2: Extreme frustration. It really is so frustrating the way that this huge project can be held up and possibly scuppered altogether by a very small group of people who don't seem to realise. The majority really, really, really want it. Um, So frustration extreme and, and quite a, a lot of angry people as well.
1: The anger of many local residents has been vented on a Facebook group called Athenri for Apple. The town has a population of about 4,000 people. More than 1,400 people have signed up to the Facebook group. Many express the fear that Apple will simply get fed up and move elsewhere. We're now with the potential where a judicial review, if it goes to a full review and an 18-month cycle, means, I mean, if I was a cold hard businessman in their position, you'd have to look... Having passed the barrier required twice, you'd have to say, hold on a minute, why do I have to do this the third time? The the message, I suppose, that that it would send out is that um, the west of Ireland is incapable of supporting this kind of data centre development, in in fact, any kind of large industrial development, when the the opposite is actually the case. On the same day last February that Apple announced its Attenraya investment, it also announced a similar project in Denmark. While the Irish project remains mired in planning issues, the Danish data center is already half built. Apple is believed to be considering further investments in Denmark. Meanwhile, in Athenrai, local business people are hoping Apple remains patient
2: and we need, we need to move forward athenrai it 's a medieval town, but we don 't want to be stuck in medieval land forever and ever. We, we need to move forward. We need apple we want we actually majority want apple
0: Mark, thanks for that report uh, very interesting. You would think on the face of it. An 850 million investment in a small town in the west of Ireland, uh, 300 jobs in construction and 150 permanent positions on completion. You would think that Rye would be biting the hand off Apple but some locals are obviously objecting. So where does it go from here?
1: Um, well, the, the case is due for mention in the High Court on November the 8th. Um, as I said we've, as we, said in the report, there are three objectors um, um, who are seeking a judicial review. They don't have a judicial review yet, but what they do have is leave to apply for one, permission from the court to apply for it. Um, so that's due for mention on November the 8th. So at that stage... Um, they could be knocked back completely, um, um, or it could uh, it could move closer towards a full judicial review. And if that's granted, um, there will be a delay of probably at least eighteen months. Now the fear is whether or not Apple will stick around to see that process through. Um, and we know, uh, and we know from our own sources here in the Irish Times that they've already made contact with senior Irish Enterprise officials and expressed concern and frustration on the alarm. Officials. Uh, 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 yeah, enterprise officials, uh, state enterprise officials. They've they've they've, they've expressed uh, alarm. Uh, a concern about the possibility of another long delay and, and, and you know, the ramifications that that might have for the future of the project. Mm. So I think there's a lot at stake here for Athens um, and Rye. And, you know, when I visited the town, I really did get the distinct impression from all of the people that I spoke to um, that, you know, the majority of the town seems to be well up for this investment. Um, but look, the people who have lodged objections are entitled to due process. They're entitled to resort to the course if that's what they want to do. Um, do you know anything about the nature of their objections? Um, well, because it's a judicial review, um, they're not objections based upon planning. Um, th- th- they can only seek a judicial review um, um, on the basis that the rules weren't followed by on board all, allegedly allegedly. Um, um, so they can't ask the judges to make a better planning decision than the planning officers of on board all. The judges aren't planning officers. Um, so it has to be based around the environmental impact statement, for example, um, and, uh, and, and, and the rules that were followed in relation to that. We don't know, the re- we know the reasons of two of the objectors, the two um, objectors who live locally in Rye, because they outlined all of their objections in documents followed on. The other objector, the third objector, um, who uh, owns a tract of land in County Wicklow, um, we don't know what his objections are. He didn't object that on Bortlinala stage, um, but he has been joined with other two objectors by the High Court and all three are for mention now yeah. November the It sounds from your report as if you know, 98, 99% of the locals
0: are in favour of this uh, project. Is it democratic that three people
1: could scupper it? Well, I suppose the people of, uh, of Athenry made clear to me when I was down there that, you know, they feel they're the voice of the majority, but that their voice isn't being listened to. But look, this is what you process is for. I mean, everybody's going to get their day in mm. court. Um, um, but, uh, uh, the, you know, the town has suffered pretty badly uh, uh, during the recession. At the time the announcement was made in February 2015, unemployment rate in Athenry at that time was still 18%. It's only come down by a couple of percentage points since. So the town could do a little bit of a fill-up. Um, yeah. and, and, and the and national rate, of course, is about 78 so
0: it's well above the. It's, the it's well above region. the national. It's well above okay. the national. Uh, there's a bit of a, a history, isn't there, in Nathan Rye of objections uh, to to developments. I mean, wasn't there a site for Aldi or Little or something? Yeah, um, the, the, in the town centre that didn't go ahead.
1: Yeah, last year there was a there, there was another uh, situation in Athens Rye where you know they, 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 they were, permission was sought to build a supermarket that will be offered to either Aldi or Little uh, in the centre of the town uh, last year, and, and most of the town centre business people were in favour of that because they wanted to draw footfall into the town. Um, but it was objected to, RG Data uh, uh, objected to it, uh, that's the, 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 the retail lobby group, they, they, they objected to it, um, and, uh, and and other larger retail businesses um, located around on the edge of the town, they objected to it as well, yeah. um, and, and, and it, it ended up not going through, and that's something that's left a little bit of anger for, for, for sort of town centre business people, and they were hoping that this Apple um, investment might give them the sort of fill-up that they missed yeah. out on with the, with the supermarket. What about the site? Have you seen the site yourself? What does it look like? What's on it currently? The Apple site, the, the site that's proposed is basically a queeltshire forest at the moment and it's about three and a half miles out of the town. You go um, um, through some... Uh, well Back roads, I suppose, is only how you would describe them. Um, but it's it, it's 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 quite close to another uh, larger road in the far side. There's a, there's a, a school at one side of it, but the school principal is 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 all up for the development. Uh, she has no problems with it whatsoever. Um, it's 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 currently it, it's not a site of great natural beauty, I have to say. And um, there's some beautiful beautiful parts of Galway. This isn't one of them. Um, um, it's a it's it's a site that has a mature Quilcher forest on it. And um, when that's harvested, it's yes. it's just going to be left. In
0: Paul at IrishTimes.com, but away, uh, people of Rye. That's his uh, email address if you wish to send any complaints uh, about what he's just said about your beautiful town. Um, Mark, uh, do we
1: know where Apple uh, stand on this?
0: Um,
1: um, well, Apple, Apple aren't making any comment at all because uh, because, it, because it's gone legal, because it's gone to judicial review. But we know they're concerned about the future of the project. Um, we know that they, they, they want to push through a project for Athenry. Um We also know that on the same day they announced the Rye project, they, they announced one for Denmark as well, a data centre in Denmark. Um, and and that project, whilst the Irish one remains mired in planning, um, the, the Danish project is uh, is, is is already uh, half built. Um, so it just says it all about the Irish planning process. Yeah. And maybe maybe there's a little bit too much democracy in the Irish planning process. Maybe yeah, that's the maybe. Problem.
0: I mean, is there any danger that th- this could sour uh, the relationship that Apple has with Ireland? Because obviously we have this tax case um, that's going on with Brussels now. I know Apple and Ireland are singing off the same hymn sheet essentially. Uh, in that case
1: but you know nonetheless it doesn't it can't help with relations it doesn't look great for Ireland if Ireland Uh, is unable to deliver large scale technology projects infrastructural projects like this for a country that prides itself on being the Silicon Valley of Europe and so on Um, and Apple and the government are obviously working pretty closely together on the the European Union tax case it would be pretty embarrassing for for some of the ministers involved there Mm. if in this case um, um, if if permission was refused but of course uh, it's it's a judicial process now and politicians can't interfere in that you've got to let the courts do their work It's kind of embarrassing when you
0: consider that we're supposed to have a climate advantage in terms of hosting these data centres. We're supposed to be adding an advantage to other countries, aren't
1: we? That's right. I mean, there's lots of data centres in Ireland for technology companies. Microsoft has one. Um, Yahoo has one. Lots of companies have one uh, around Dublin. It's because of the climate. It's because it's freezing bloody cold out there. And uh, and, and and it costs less money to keep these data centres cool. If you think about them, they're basically farms of computer servers is what they are. They, they throw off an awful lot of heat. Um, you've got to have good broadband connections and you've got to have a good road network apparently to to, uh, to, to, to build data centres in your country and you've got to have a climate that works and, and Ireland's climate apparently works for data centres
0: OK Mark thanks for that we'll take a short break now and return with a look at why the Walloons are blocking the EU's trade deal with Canada back in a few
1: moments
2: At Irish Life we can
1: tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow they don't have a pension plan we can help you help them Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
0: Welcome back. Uh, now we're going to look at the reasons why Wallonia in Belgium has blocked the EU's trade deal with Canada. And I'm joined on the line now by Suzanne Lynch, uh, European correspondent for the Irish Times, and also by John Clancy, a uh, senior advisor with FTI Consulting in Brussels and Berlin. And John is also uh, was a former trade spokesman for the EU and the Barroso Commission uh, from 2010 to 2014. Uh, Suzanne, I might just start with you. Perhaps you could give us the backdrop uh, to this problem that uh, the Walloons seem to have with this trade deal that the EU wants to do with Canada?
4: Yes, well, trouble has been brewing on this issue for about two weeks now. Um, the EU had been expected to sign off a trade deal with Canada that had been in negotiations for, for more than for seven years. And this was supposed to be uh, passed and signed on the dotted line in the last couple of weeks. There was a, a special meeting of trade ministers that was set up and then there was the EU summit last week. Uh, but uh, nearly two weeks ago, uh, the Wallonian Parliament in, in southern Belgium decided to block the deal. Now, there had been actually Expectations that some kind of compromise would be reached. There have been frantic negotiations going on here in Brussels between Canadians and the EU side uh, for the last week or so. But as of yet, uh, no final solution has been found on this. Now, the the problem is for Europe is that there is an EU-Canada summit that has been in the diary for some time uh, scheduled for this Thursday, the 27th in Brussels. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, had been scheduled to attend that um, now, less than 24 hours before that summit, um, the European Council President Donald Tusk is still saying it may take place. Um, and here today, Wednesday in Brussels, negotiations are still going on this afternoon. Um, but as of yet, uh, there has been no uh, breakthrough made on this. So, look, there are serious uh, issues here for the European Union. This is a real embarrassment for the EU. Um, the Canadian trade, trade Minister said last week or said a few weeks ago, if the EU can't do a deal with Canada on trade, well, then who cannot it do a it, uh, deal with you know Canada is a very, very developed nation a G7 member, Um, this was supposed to be the easy one. And the European Union, unfortunately, has got a a number of other uh, trade deals lined up, most particularly with the US, the TTIP deal that's running into problems. So uh, I think serious questions are now being asked about the ability of the EU uh, to do trade deals with other countries. Even if a solution is found to this in the next few weeks, I think uh, the damage has been done, as it were.
0: Yeah, sure. And sorry, specifically, Suzanne, what's Wallonia's problem with the trade deal?
4: It's got two main issues. Uh, firstly, it's got issues about agriculture. It's worried that uh, this new trade deal will harm its agricultural industry. And secondly, it has got concerns about a controversial investor court. This is a feature uh, of a number of, of most trade deals and has become a real lightning rod for public opposition to trade deal, particularly in, in TTIP. Uh, and essentially, that's a special court that would allow uh, investors, companies, to sue governments in certain uh, cases. And uh, they are very much opposed to this these are still the two main issues they have even up till today and they're trying to get some agreement on those
0: all right john clancy i mean you've worked in the corridors of power in brussels uh, in the Barroso commission as i mentioned there for uh, four or five years um i suppose people in britain uh, brexiteers in particular will probably be looking at that and saying sure look at what's going on there with canada sure we're absolutely right to, to be getting out of the eu
5: Well, there's two sides to that. I mean, of course, uh, I'm not a representative of of, of the Brexiteers' point of view, but I can imagine, like you say, um, the Brexiteers would be now making the argument, well, indeed, um, you know, the EU is struggling to make uh, trade deals, uh, such as with Canada. Therefore, we're better to try and do deals independently uh, and bilaterally on our own. However... um, Even if that is the case, the problem arises for the Brexiteers, and it's still the fundamental problem uh, in respect of Brexit, is for the UK to start doing trade deals with third countries. So, for example, with Canada, with Australia, with India and so on, these countries will want to know the terms of the deal that is in place post-Brexit between the United Kingdom and the EU. So, I mean, you, you, you face a problem of in, in order uh, to move forward post-Brexit, um, they will have to try and get a trade deal done. But that very trade deal that they would want to do with the EU risks being scuppered by this kind of a regional and national approach uh, for the ratification of trade deals, where, as we see now, uh, a number of hurdles, political hurdles, can be put in place and scupper the deal. So you you know it's a question of you know what comes first, which problem arises first in order to achieve trade deals
0: yeah, and I, I, sh- I suppose it highlights how difficult it is, how cumbersome the structure is within Europe uh, to agree something like this.
5: Well, absolutely. I mean it's become rather impossible uh, in in the kind of post Lisbon treaty world, so in about the last uh, six or seven years uh, in the EU to actually get trade deals done. Now, on the one hand, the Lisbon Treaty was important because it brought democratic oversight to trade deals. Previously, uh, trade deals had just been done by the EU for about 20-odd years uh, on behalf of all of its member states, um, and of course with the uh, you know, authority, consent, and overview of the member states uh, trade specialists who sat on the council in Brussels. Uh, but beyond that, there was no democratic oversight by the Parliament. The Lisbon Treaty brought the Parliament on board as the representative body of all EU citizens. But if you like, this democratization uh, of trade deals has gone even a step further now um, and has uh, involved uh, national and regional parliaments, and that's where the problem lies. I mean, if it is simply uh, left with uh, the member state national governments themselves and ultimately the European Parliament, which represents all of us as um, EU citizens, then, of course, it should be much, much less problematic. It's a system of mixed agreements, which is now really complicating the situation. Yeah,
0: Suzanne, you've been living in uh, Belgium now for a number of years. Um, Just explain to people, if you like, the the unique circumstances in in Belgium where you have uh, a Wallonia region and also uh, Flanders, and why it is that they uh, effectively have to take separate uh, decisions on a trade deal with somebody like Canada.
4: Yes, I mean, Belgium is, a, is a, a unique country in a lot of ways, um, but it's a highly devolved system of government. It's mainly because of the split in the country between the Flemish-speaking and region of Flanders in the north of the country and the French-speaking region of Wallonia in the south of the country. But it's not just as simple as that split. There are also different layers of regional um, and local government here in the country. Um, so it's not only actually the Wallonian government that's against it; it's also the Wallonian element of the Brussels government, if you like, that's against this. So that's why there are so many different um, parties uh, that have to be Uh, consulted, and that's what's happening now as I speak here in central Brussels. Um, But I do think what what John was saying there is crucial. I think, in in one way, the European Commission, you know, Jean-Claude Juncker has come into some criticism, because this is maybe a problem of their own making. Because back in July, they made the decision, under pressure really from France and Germany, to agree that this agreement was a mixed agreement, i.e. it fell under national competence, as well as EU competence. Um, and that, if you like, has opened up a can of worms, has opened up the situation we're in now. Because legally, it's, it, it's quite unclear. The European Union is awaiting a key decision uh, by the European Court of Justice, maybe by the end of this year, if not early next year, on an EU-Singapore deal. And that should give some legal guidance on whether trade deals in the future will be a mixed agreement or an EU-wide agreement. Um, and this, this, um, this may give some clarity to the issue. But on the Belgian issue, I think this I mean this issue is dominating news coverage, as you can imagine, here in Belgium. Um, and there are lots of people who who see the Wallonian side and and believe they're right to stand up for their rights. But on the other side, other um other member states uh, and other regions, particularly Flanders and Belgium, have criticised the Wallonian Parliament and accused them of, of domestic uh, political manoeuvring, saying, well look if you have this kind of problem, why did you raise this now, in the last two weeks of this deal you had seven years to raise these concerns so for example, on the agriculture side um, in Ireland, the Irish government are very comfortable with the deal it believes that it's opening up a lot of markets uh, for Irish farmers, Irish exporters and actually there's going to be a lot of um, limits on the, on the quota implications for goods coming in uh, from Canada. I believe the IFA, for example, were very involved in negotiations back four or five years ago and quite comfortable with this. Um, So, yeah, the fear is, you know, as John was explaining, if one region um, brings up a problem, But then everybody else uh, can can bring up similar problems. So, you know, it's how long is a piece of string. So I think it is opening up serious issues for the European Union going forward in terms of trade deals. John Clancy,
0: why does it take seven years to agree a trade deal with Canada? I mean, Canada is uh, a country with a lot of European uh, connections and, you know, it's pretty trade friendly uh, with Europe. I would have thought, why would it take seven years to conclude a deal with them?
5: I mean, it's the reality of any trade deal, uh, to be quite frank with you. Uh, You have a trade deal of something around a thousand, often more pages. Uh, It's an incredibly tedious task. Uh, You have trade negotiators literally sitting in rooms going through tariffs, so, you know, different tariff lines. So, you know, for example, that may be a particular agricultural product or a piece of mechanical engineering or an element within, for example, a refrigerator and so on, um, because all of these parts uh, 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 correspond to different tariff lines and we need to um, try and, you know, sort of decide what will be the um the tariff quotas and so forth. So it's a very tedious business and it takes a long time and of course there are a lot of vested interests. Um, as Suzanne pointed out, I mean, for example, uh, Irish uh, uh, agricultural unions will want to be having a say in discussions um, over what you know, may be imported into Ireland. Will there be safeguard clauses? Will there be quotas to stop there being a flood of particular goods? So all of this to froing this kind of discussion among the many stakeholders and then feeding that in, whether you're on the Canadian side or in, on the European Union side, just simply takes yeah, time.
0: Sure. So, what does this tell us about the Brexit negotiations? Theresa May has said that Article 50 will be triggered by the end of uh, next March. Uh, we'll then have what a two-year negotiation uh, period on the on the exit terms. Um, and if I'm if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the negotiation on a trade deal would only begin at that point.
5: I mean, again, uh, we don't yet have clarity on that, but um, I think it is fair to suggest uh, that indeed. The reality is that the EU-UK post-Brexit trade discussion really can only begin in a couple of years' time. would also, in reality, be quite complicated and maybe some ability to move you know, more quickly. It depends, on, of course, whether they decide on soft or a hard Brexit. But there's nowhere around it. Trade deals are complex. Trade deals take time to achieve. Uh, so, of course, uh, the post-Brexit world is very uncertain in that respect and is extremely complicated. Yeah. Uh,
0: Suzanne, the uh, EU uh, set up a negotiating team uh, to deal with the, the Brexit issue. What are you hearing about the time frame uh, that might be involved? And how is Ireland uh, sort of putting its case for special arrangements, given our close uh, relationship, trading relationship with Britain?
4: Yeah, well, firstly, on the issue of what next in terms of negotiations, I think we're seeing a, um, a multiple step process. We're going to see a withdrawal from by Britain, by Britain from the EU. And then we're probably going to see the government, the British government, trying to get some kind of transitional arrangement that will tie them over until a new EU-Britain trade deal is done. Um, if not, they will have to revert to WTO rules, and um, which would uh, mean huge tariffs, um, we think. So I think that's going to be um, the first thing, if you like, trying to get the transitional arrangement, and then negotiations will start on a new uh, bespoke uh, trade agreement. In terms of the Brexit negotiating team, uh, the three institutions here in Brussels, the Council, the Parliament and the Commission, have set up teams and uh, three men to lead those teams. Um, While a lot of the political direction will be given by the European Council, by Donald Tusk, as as he... consults with Prime Ministers. Uh, The European Commission will play a very central role here, much more of a role really than people, including myself, probably expected at the beginning of this. Um, But Michel Barnier, the former Internal Markets Commissioner, has been appointed as the point man by the Commission. He has assembled a team of around 10 to 15. That is expected to expand once the negotiations begin. Um, It is a concern that Ireland at this point has nobody on that Brexit team. Um, I understand there was moves by the um, by Irish representation, by the Irish government, to get somebody on that team. That hasn't happened yet. Now it is a good sign that Michel Barnier has been to Dublin, has, has already visited Dublin, and I believe those those talks went quite well. He met with the T shock. Um, with uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs and uh, Francis Fitzgerald, uh, the Minister for Justice. Enda um, Kenny would know Michelle Barney going back a long way uh, through the EPP. They were both both vice President, presidents of the EPP. And so there would be good personal contacts there. Uh, but I think what is concerning for Ireland at this point, um, what I'm picking up here from talking to various people, that there is an issue now that Ireland is seen as perhaps too close to Britain. Um, Ireland, obviously, is going to be the most exposed country economically by far than any other country uh, proportionally by Brexit. And... um, it's, it's going to want to keep Britain as close as possible uh, to promote a soft Brexit, if you like. Uh, so I do think there are some fears that if, if, you know, you have Ireland too closely involved, that maybe it's going to look at things too much from the British side. So it's a very, very difficult balance for Ireland to strike here. Ireland and its officials are very well respected here in Brussels. But at the same time, um, Ireland needs to decide, you know, how close it wants to be to Britain while at the same time make sure this relationship with the European Union um, are looked after and that it doesn't isolate itself too much when the negotiations start.
0: Yeah. And finally, John, uh, if you like, I suppose there's some people, maybe it's false hope, but there are some people in Ireland who are hoping that perhaps some other solution can be found to this problem, that perhaps... Uh, Britain might have a change of mind or uh, some other you know, form former relationship might be possible to uh, negotiate without it actually exiting the EU. Do you think there's any possibility? Of course, we have some legal challenges going on in Britain as well. Um, and there's talk of Parliament, uh, parliamentary votes and so forth. Do you think there's any possibility that this decision might be reversed?
5: I think it's very, very unlikely, uh, quite frankly. Um, no matter... Uh, Whether a Brexiteer or uh, a Remainer, um, I think the government is determined to move forward. The British government is determined to move forward with Brexit, no matter which form that eventually takes. So I think it's very unlikely, of course, indeed. There has been a uh, sort of a state of shock in Brussels, as many officials have wandered around, you know, Schumann Roundabout, uh, where you have the headquarters of the uh, Berlimon, the European Commission building and the council building, uh, possibly looking a bit shell-shocked and sort of hoping of course, that the UK may refrain from its sort of uh, direction uh, towards the Brexit cliff. But uh, frankly, I still think um, that this government is showing determined signs that Brexit will happen.
0: Right. And do you think there there's the potential for a special arrangement for Northern Ireland so we don't get that hard border that everybody dreads?
5: Extremely complicated. Extremely complicated. Um you know it seems very difficult uh to balance uh the issue of the border uh, in respect of free movement of people and of course in terms of business the question of uh of the movement of goods uh i personally have not yet heard convincing uh arguments to explain how that can happen um so i'm still waiting to to, to learn whether that be from the the british government or other on how that will work
0: Okay, John Clancy, Suzanne Lynch, thank you for joining us. Now, on Tuesday, Telecom's joint AT&T reached an $85.4 billion deal to buy media titan Time Warner. Joining me in studio is Laura Slattery, our media guru, who will tell us all about this deal. Uh, Laura, just uh, give us the backdrop, first of all, to this uh, mega merger.
3: Well, AT&T, as you say, is a massive US uh, telecom's giant and they are keen to get their hands on Time Warner because it's the owner of a lot of great content companies, as the umbrella yeah, term Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, Time Warner, I mean, as the sort of the name suggests, they're the owner of the Warner Brothers uh, movie studio. And um, they also own a television network called the CW. Um, CNN is theirs. Mm. But perhaps you know one of the most interesting jewels is HBO, which was this sort of pay TV network, which is responsible for a lot of the premium content. Yeah, I mean they are really the sort of the original driving force of the so-called golden age of television, which you know a lot of people uh, date back to uh, 1999 and The Sopranos.
0: I think they had Sex and the City as well, but they've had other content too. Tell us more. Yeah,
3: well, I mean, really, the current hit. The the big property is Game of Thrones, which is why you've seen um, characters, you know, various members of the Lannister family illustrating all these uh, business news stories about the potential AT and Time Warner deal. And it's, but it's not just the fact that this is, uh, you know, really, you know, much loved, well watched uh, content. You know, it, it's the ability to sort of mar- marry this uh, well watched content with their massive customer base and also sort of sell advertising around this content based on on everything they know about their customers.
0: And of course it's it's a trend not just in the United States but we've seen it in Ireland haven't we? I mean we've seen uh, Air take over uh, Satanta Sports, we've seen Liberty Media and uh, TV3, Liberty Media owned by John Malone uh, who's a a very wealthy American who has various uh, media assets across the world.
3: I mean what's driving this ultimately is a belief that you know what we know is television is going to be delivered not via um, sort of traditional methods, but, but but via via broadband essentially, and companies that are, you know are in that position, you know, like like uh, Liberty, uh, John Malone's Liberty, you know, mm-hmm. they they have a stake in one of the big U.S. companies, uh, Charter Communications, uh, that would be uh, you know in, in that business as well, and they can marry that with content. Um, they become become a very potent business um, and uh, they see that as the future.
0: Yeah, sure. And I suppose Netflix is also playing a role in this. I mean, Netflix is probably the, the main driver in pushing people towards downloading movies or shows yeah. uh, via the Internet.
3: Yeah, I mean, they've sort of created this movement and there was a sense perhaps that the uh, US cable uh, companies had been sort of slow to respond to the uh, arrival of Netflix. Um, not only have they got a massive uh, content budget, but they, they, they created the, the sort of, you say, the over-the-top is the phrase used, uh, delivery of, of um, television um, via an internet connection. And Netflix, you know, they have a very, you know, they have an interesting view on this potential merger um, because the deal isn't done yet, as we might discuss in a minute, Uh, you know, because they're concerned about net neutrality, which is this uh, principle that, you know, all all traffic is is treated the same. They don't want AT&T on whom they, you know, essentially depend in order to reach their customers. They don't want them favouring you know, Time Warner content and HBO content over, over, over their traffic, and these are the kind of things that are going to be looked at, I suspect, by the uh, US competition and antitrust uh, regulators. Yeah,
0: and what uh, you know, what are people saying about that uh, in the marketplace at the minute? Is it expected to glide through, or, or could, could I don't think be it's sp- like
3: uh, nobody. It seems expects it to glide through and it, one analysis uh, that i've been looking at suggests it depends on who ultimately has the say if it's the us department of justice uh, it possibly will get through eventually despite you know uh, um, public uh, uh, comments by both hillary clinton and donald trump the you know the president doesn't ha- president doesn't have say but isn't uh, isn't the one but the department of justice uh, um, might actually yeah. be favorable but if the fcc which is their competition regulator starts looking at whether or not it's in the public interest, then it might actually be a tougher test. So there's been some scepticism on Wall Street, which I suppose is an interesting arbiter to to the deal and that they don't reckon it's a done deal at all. On the other hand, um, there is maybe a sense that that not only will it go through, but this, in fact, is going to spark uh, a new wave of similar deals. Um, You mentioned Netflix there. Um, it's been suggested that both Disney uh, and uh, indeed Apple might want to have a look at Netflix, and it's also been denied, of course. Mm. Um, but it, it is it does point to the you know the several possible routes for um, major yeah. consolidations it's in the a business. It'll be very powerful
0: company, isn't it? I mean, 130 mobile phone customers, 25 million pay TV customers.
3: Yeah, it's going to be. It's I mean, it's the biggest media company in, in the world. It, it, it will be, and it'll be the biggest deal. Um, like you know So it'll be
0: the biggest purchaser of content presumably
3: Yeah I mean Is that good
0: for the industry is it good for the market
3: I don't I, I, I kind of, you kind of wonder where it's all going, as you say, because you know this this puts pressure on Disney to make a deal, on, and on the likes of 21st Century Fox, to to to, to, to look for a yeah. deal, and uh, you know they were trying to bid for Time Warner. They had a, a, an offer uh, rebuffed just a couple of years ago. It wasn't as as good an offer, but you know there is there is this sort of you know where you know where how many companies are we left with at the end? Of yeah, it? sure. And but a these lot of deals Europe-
0: can fall out of bed, can they? Because I mean, Sky tried to take over, didn't they? Famousl,y tried to take over ITV.
3: Um, yeah. Well, um, uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, uh, News Corp tried to buy all of Sky rather than just the, the stake that they have, and in fact, Sky is one of the companies that is suggested now might come up for grabs uh, as part of this um, new wave of consolidation. As 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 will ITV. I mean, they, they, I mean, ITV is, is sort of ripe mm-hmm. for takeover. Uh, and again, our friends in in Liberty Global have a bit of a stake. There, um, but it's all—it's all kind of you know completely changed from the very kind of innocent days of 1989 when when Time Warner formed in the first place from from Time Inc. and, and Warner Communications. Um, these are companies with you know, convoluted histories, but essentially both date back to the 1920s and the birth of mass media. They formed you know, late 80s, 1989 to form a company that was going to have 10 billion revenues and now, you know, today, Time Warner as it is it's been through a a failed merger of its own with AOL that has about 28 billion on on its own and AT&T is up there at 147 billion, so this is um, absolutely massive, giant.
0: Any, Any direct implications for Irish viewers?
3: Um, I don't think it is because – I don't think there will be because, I mean, one, I suppose, potential, you know, uh, strategy they might have – is to sort of take the, jewel, the HBO jewels and keep them for just AT and T customers, but that's really only in the US, uh, you know, because act- actually HBO has a content deal here with uh, with Sky, so I imagine that's unaffected. Uh, but you know that they could take certain content and keep them for AT and T customers only, a bit like what we've seen happen to some sports rights in this part of the world, uh, where they're exclusively for the broadband customers or the, the telecoms customers of the, those mm. giants. But it does—it's another example of the telco sector kind of essentially you know showing their hand they are more powerful in many respects than, than, than sort of tra- companies that come from a more traditional broadcasting background
0: okay. What's the likely time frame for a year A on this?
3: I think it's going to be some some months before you know, I know. I, uh, there's a there's a Senate subcommittee due to hear hear about it soon, and I think it just depends on which route goes after that. Does it go Does it go to the FCC or the US uh, Justice, Justice Justice Department? But it's there's there's uh, there's certainly some political pressure on it, but there is also then the 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 you know the the, the corporate you know the, the the corporate will to sort of get a deal done, and. You know, we still don't know. There's other companies, you know, haven't even mentioned yet, like Google. Um, but as I say, Disney and, and 21st Century Fox could make a move. Um, Netflix could be an interesting target. And there's these other smaller targets, as I say, ITV and even um, Channel 4 if they decide to privatise us in the UK. So there's a lot of kind of different assets that could be up for grabs and as these companies try to put together uh, attractive content companies with their own uh, uh, telecoms base.
0: All right, sounds like the makings of a good drama. Uh, we'll, we'll watch it full. Laura Slattery, thank you for joining us. Uh, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Suzanne Lynch, John Clancy, Laura Slattery and Mark Paul. Uh, John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon as the sound engineer. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Thank you.